it's yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's interesting. It takes a lot of the edge off with the humor, but yeah. also like yeah. Anyway, we should we should probably start. Um, we should do the show. Yeah. Uh, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that kind of regrets instituting a couch gag. I'm Max. And I am JR. How's it going? Oh, you know, just slipping further and further into disrepair at all times. Well, uh, thank you for... This is the Sylvia Plath moment. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things of, it's a good thing I have to wear a mask when I leave the house because my nose hair is getting out of control. Oh yeah. Actually, I noticed that yesterday too. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's a new one. It's like, hooray, you're 36. Have weird nose hair, I guess. Yeah. That's going to be your thing. Yeah. Yeah, also, and I bet, you, you know, know it's it's different for everybody. I'm sure. Like, there's there's probably dudes that were like, I'm 36 and now back hair, you know, or I'm 36 hair. and now like yeah, ear hair. That's weird. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, or like I'm 36 and now like my knees just don't work, right? Yeah. Like they worked yesterday and they might work tomorrow, but like today, no. Uh, yeah. So, like, on the, you know, comparatively, like, your nose hair's gone insane. <sighs> Fine. Alright. I'm okay. Uh, I got a trimmer for that. That's what I, you know, just got to remember to use it. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway. I, uh, my, bi- my big things are A, nose hair, and B, my eyebrows. My eyebrows, like, if I... I will turn around um, the uh, and the next thing I know like I have eyebrow hair like poking me in the eye Jesus it has gotten so long it curls around and (sighs) into my eye (laughs) yeah all right yeah um so, news. Um, news. Couple of things here that are kind of whatever. One that's uh-huh. unconfirmed, and one that's just sort of all right, cool. Sure. Um. So, number one. Uh, now that Marvel has the rights to Alien, uh, they are releasing an Alien omnibus, which is going to feature all of the old alien comics from dark horse in a single omnibus um so there's that if you're an alien fan and you haven't read those or you want them all collected in one place there you go uh number two this is this is a big old i don't give a fuck for me but it's news so whatever uh, Marvel and Fortnite, Fortnite and Marvel. Uh, they did a video featuring Captain America uh, coming into the world of Fortnite, 
and now they're doing a thing with Thor and Fortnite and all right like this is this is one of those things where I uh this isn't quite like a music thing where I'm just like I'm too old to give a fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I just don't care about Fortnite. Like, well, I st- I play video games and I enjoy yeah. them, but I I for one thing, multiplayer is just not my thing. Okay, um, but specifically, battle royale is yeah too stressful for me. Like, mm-hmm. I just and it probably I don't know like. You know how we've talked about video games before, and there should be a there should be a dad mode where uh, when you when you uh, start the game for the first time in two weeks, it realizes that and goes, "Okay, let's do the tutorial real quick again <laughs> to a get you th- back into what the fucking controls are, and b uh, then we're gonna do." Five minutes on what the fuck is happening in the story and why you should give yeah. a shit. And, like, you could opt out of both of those, but, like, I haven't touched this video game unless it's, like, con- I, I was playing Control. I haven't played Control for two weeks, or not two weeks, two months. Uh, if I pick that game up right now, I have no idea what's going on. Um, and I well, wouldn't know how to... All, but that's also, like, part of to... Part of the game. I mean, they made... <laughs> The same people made, what, Alan Wake and Quantum Break? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, like, whatever. As far as uh, Battle Royales go, like, honestly, that should be something I would be into because the controls are always the same, there is no story, whatever, right? Like, you just play it and die and play it again and die a lot because I suck. And, uh, but I don't want to get yelled at by a 13 year old. I don't want to get called slurs by a 13 year old. Thank you. Pass. Yeah. I, you know what? I, um, I routinely get yelled at by a child and, um, I don't want to do that in my spare time. So whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's a thing that's happening. Uh, Donny Cates retweeted the video for it, so if you if that's your thing, go check it out. Sure. Uh, Olivia Wilde has been uh, in talks with Sony to direct a superhero movie. Um. So, here's the... Okay. Real quick. So, people are speculating it's Spider-Woman. Okay. Um, but that has not yet been confirmed. Uh, here, here's the thing that bugs me, is that... Um, if it... <coughs> they keep... They keep trying to court these indie directors. Okay? Oh, and like yeah. Olivia Wilde directed Booksmart. You've you had 
uh, fucking Edgar Wright, Duan Man, Taika Waititi doing Thor Ragnarok, stuff like that. And I'm not saying... Okay, some people go into indie directing so as to then be able to parlay that into directing big Hollywood movies. And that's fine. Um, The problem that I have is that so often they court these indie directors, bring them online, or bring them on to do a movie, and then they hammer them into the studio style. Yeah. And that's the problem that I have with it is if you want to get an indie director, if you want to get someone who has like a voice and a style and whatever, cool. But like let them make the make the movie that they want to make because that's why you fucking got them. Well, and I think with Sony I I'm about to say something nice about Sony, but you got a little it feels like Sony's got a little more freedom there uh, because they they don't have a style. They have yeah. one good animated movie and a bunch of other weird shit. Um, so I think that if you were to... I think they're trying to turn the Venom thing into a thing, but I don't know that that's going to work. Um and, uh, so if, Dis- if it were Disney that brought her on, I'd be like, well, okay, I'm gonna make a Marvel movie. Uh, but if it was, since it's Sony, I'm like, uh, maybe, maybe she'll actually get to make the movie she wants to make. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. The Venom thing, I'm, I'm interested in the, in Carnage just because... Uh, I don't know. Woody Harrelson could be a lot of fun as Cletus Cassidy. We'll are see. They, are they legit making that movie? Yeah. Oh. Wow. What have you have you not seen Venom? No. Yeah, he appears as Cletus Cassidy I, in the movie. I knew and that. And they've already they've already. The next Venom movie is Carnage. No, it's just ever. It's been. It's been since 2015 or so that they announced that they, you know, Venom was a movie, and uh, ever since I've just like really. Yeah, Re- but no, they actually did like a teaser trailer for the uh, sequel. Huh. All it is is a title. Okay. Um, I think it's Let There Be Carnage. Sure. Hmm. Not All right. But whatever. <coughs> uh, lastly, Marvel is doing a comic uh, called Indigenous Voices, and it is going to be. It is going to be. Creators of Indigenous Descent writing and drawing characters of Indigenous Descent. So, cool. 
I'm I'm on board for that. Yeah. Let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not really a lot to say about that. I'm I'm totally with it. What? Nothing. I'm looking at the creative team here and like mm-hmm. where I would recognize them from and like who's in the book. A Danny Moonstar story is a good fit. Yeah, there's Echo Warpath. Danny Moonstar, I forget who else, um, and the creative teams. Uh, some of them are comic creators. Some of them are writers uh, doing comics for the first time, stuff like that. Um, but all of them are indigenous. So cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, I guess comics. Um, hey, comics. Hey, comics. Uh, Thor Annual number six have a has a cover by John Buscema, Joe Sinnott, and Irving Watanabe and is written by Roger Stern and Len Wein, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Klaus Jansen, colored by Glynis Wein, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Len Wein. Um, In the present day, uh, some terrorists have taken over a nuclear installation. Thor arrives, goes in, takes them out, but then... Uh, a stray bullet may have hit a reactor. Uh, it's starting to go critical, so Thor goes to deal with it when suddenly he and the reactor disappear. Uh, they are transported to the far-flung future where a shadowy figure um, is just like, oh, well, I don't want you, and dumps him in space. Yeah. Um, you're more trouble than you're worth. Bye. Yeah. Uh, the upshot of the all of this being, he is found by the Guardians, Gesundheit of the Galaxy, um, and then they go on an adventure wherein they go up against Korvac and his various minions, some of whom previously appeared in Giant Size Defenders number three. We find out that Korvac's defeat at the hands of Doctor Strange in that issue uh, was actually intentional, and that in so doing, he was able to analyze the Game Master's energies and duplicate them, and or steal them. Uh, And, yeah. The, The Guardians and Thor go to the planet the planetoid where Korvac's citadel is. Um, But they come under heavy fire, so they teleport down and send the ship uh, to a safe distance. Um, Most of the Guardians wind up fighting the Underlings, while Thor and Starhawk go to fight Korvac. Korvac causes Thor and Starhawk to to fight each other uh but they decided they decide to lean into it 
and damage the citadel so badly that it winds up coming down. Um, Korvac flees, um, and before the citadel comes crashing down around them, they are able to destroy the device Korvac had that was going to cause the sun to go, uh, did they say Nova? Yeah. Okay, well, somebody needs to sit them down and explain Nova's and other things to the... Because if, you, if you're unaware, Earth's sun is too small to go supernova. Yeah. It will just kind of pop. Uh, I mean, it will expand, but slowly. Well, so... And so then it will a, collapse. But So here's, here's the thing. Stars are basically an ongoing war yeah. between their mass and their energy. Uh, they're between gravity, which is pulling it in, yeah. and uh, the ongoing fusion. Fusion? Is it fission or fusion? It's fission. Fission. Okay. That's right. Fission. Uh, so... The fission going on is pushing it outward. The gravity is pulling it inward. Um, as stars age and die, one starts to win. And that's why our star is going to eventually expand and contract and expand and contract, burning the Earth to nothing and so on and so forth. Um, but ultimately, what will happen is fission will win out and it will just expel... A bunch of its mass. Yeah. Uh, that's because it is a smaller star. Larger stars go supernova because gravity wins. And so they it does its thing and then it goes whoosh. At which point it expels a bunch of its mass. But what mass is left collapses and becomes a neutron star or uh, a black hole or what have you. Earth's sun will not go supernova. End of story. Yeah. Um, but. The, the, he's using it here as a fancy word to say he's going to blow up the sun and siphon off the, all the energy. Like, blow up yeah. nova or not nova, whatever it's going to do. He's going to, destab just... he's going to destabilize the sun and, si and siphon off all the energy that comes from it. Which, okay, it's It's fine. one of those things, it's just like, people are just like, what if the sun goes supernova? And it's like, that's one thing you literally do not have to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway. We will get so, hit by an asteroid first. And... Hooray. There are a lot of things that could happen. That is not one of them. Yep. Uh, so, so the... They smash the machine that is it, that is about to destroy the sun. Uh, and then Starhawk uses the devices to send Thor back to the present before escaping the collapsing citadel. The Guardians are all just like, where did Thor go? And Starhawk's like, it's fine, send him home. And they're like, oh, well, it might have been nice to say goodbye. Oh, well. Uh, meanwhile, <laughs> if I were here, any of these guardians, though, and this Starhawk came out of a collapsed building and was like, "It's fine, I sent him home." I'd be like, "Did you though? Did you? Did 
Starhawk, did you murder Thor? <laughs> did you kill Thor? Man, come on. You have to tell me if you killed Thor. I did not kill Thor. <laughs> I don't believe you, though. Like, you could have killed... Alright, we're gonna... We're gonna talk about this on the ship. For right now, you didn't kill Thor. You sent him back in time. Uh, that's... <laughs> Why yeah. is one less believable than the other? <laughs> I I feel like, though... This Starhawk, I feel like... Fuck. Yeah, he totally would kill Thor. But... Well, the problem is it's not... I should, if we should did, stop saying this Starhawk, because, like... No, all Starhawks. Like, any well, yeah, Starhawk that yeah. I've read in any of the books, I've just been like, yeah, that bitch would disappear, man. Uh, with that. And the, the thing is, um, it's, uh, I totally believe Starhawk would kill Thor. Yeah. Um, the, the thing about it is, I do not think Starhawk would kill Thor randomly. Like, I don't think Starhawk has, like, a a murder oh. frenzy thing going on. But Starhawk would definitely kill Thor. And then Starhawk would come out and be like, I killed Thor. And they'd be like, what? Why would you? And it's like, I had to. It had to be done. I am one who knows. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that's how it, like, they'd just be like, how can you do that? And it's like, it was necessary. I had to preserve the present imperfect. What? What does that mean? Why do you do this? Man, you are so fucking weird. Will you go away? No. Fuck! Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I feel like Starhawk would absolutely not lie about doing it. It would just be like, yeah, I did it. It had to be done. And really not give a shit about whether whether or not any, it bothered anybody. <laughs> and then he'd go um, fly by the ship even though they were trying to evade him. <laughs> <coughs> Alright. I was I was curious because I I felt like we were coming up on Korvac relatively soon in Avengers. And yeah, we are. Like um we have in a couple weeks in a couple weeks, we have, like, three or four issues of Avengers to read. Uh-huh. And then the next time we read Avengers after that, it will be the Korvac saga. So. Uh, but, yeah. I did not Korvac. realize the Korvac saga was a thing, but yep. okay. Well, yeah, let's do it this. Is. We also get Korvac's uh, origin here, which is that... He he gleefully started working for the Badoon, but then at one point they worked him to exhaustion and he fell asleep and they're like, oh, well, that's how it's going to be, huh? So they literally grafted him to a computer bank. Um, so, yeah. But whatever. We'll see soon enough uh, about Korvac. I honestly, I don't know if I've ever read Korvac offhand. I definitely haven't, so this will be new. Hmm. Hooray! Um, Amazing Spider-Man number 172 
has a cover by Ross Andrew and Frank Giacoya and is written by Len Wein, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Frank Giacoya, colored by Glynis Wein, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Len Wein. Um, this, this is one of my favorite first appearances of a shitty villain. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because usually, when there's a shitty villain, I go back to their first appearance. Like... The kangaroo. The kangaroo is a shitty villain. Sure. <laughs> um, but, like, if you go back to his first appearance, they're like, oh, shit, the kangaroo! And you're just like, no, no, it's it's just the kangaroo. It's fine. Yeah. No. This is I... not, this is not a threat. <laughs> like, right. But with Rocket Racer, you go back to his first appearance and they're just like, yeah, no, this fuck this guy, whatever. And he is literally, he is Done. literally the in his first appearance. He is not the main villain. He is stopped within the first couple pages. Yeah, done in the first um, five, and then the rest of it is catching up on what Peter's been going on and everybody else's life and Aunt May going. Is that this issue? And they uh, having the heart attack? I think that might be next one. But, no, yeah, this is all the Liz Allen stuff. Aunt May's yeah. later this week. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's a whole lot of Peter things. Yeah. And not a lot of Spider-Man. Which is okay. Like, that's fine. Uh, yeah. And sometimes appreciated. Until, like, the back half of the issue when... After Liz... Okay, so yeah, do the rundown. Well, so yeah, basically it's Peter stops by the Daily Bugle. Marla, Glory, Joe, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Then he... Um, we have uh, Liz. Liz goes home at one point and somebody's in her apartment. And she's like, <coughs> oh, fuck. Oh, and no, not you. So... Yeah. Um, Harry and Peter meet up and Harry's like asking Peter to be his best man. Uh, this is interrupted when Harry sees Liz uh, outside and he goes, Liz, Liz, hey, Liz. And she like sees him, but then like jumps in a cab and peels out. And Harry's like, what's going on? What happened? What the fuck was that? Yeah. And Peter's like, I don't know. I'm sorry, man. So while Peter is at the bugle, a call comes in. It's the police. Liz Allen has been arrested for attempting to steal drugs from the hospital she works at. Yeah. Um, Peter tells Joe Robertson. Joe uh, arranges for Liz's bail. Um, Peter's like... This is really weird, but I think I know what's going on. So he goes and he starts investigating. And in the process, uh, winds up running into the Molten Man, who is breaking into a hospital storeroom to steal the drugs he sent Liz after. If you are unfamiliar, Molten Man is Liz Allen's uh, stepbrother. So... 
Um, they have a big fight. Molten Man is burning through his clothing and uh, seems relatively desperate. But uh, ultimately, he is able to escape. And uh, Spider-Man goes to get up only to be uh, discovered by the Rent-A-Cops. So, um, yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Excuse me. Uh, Number 173 has a cover by Ross Andrew, John Romita, and John Costanza, and is inked by Jim Mooney. Uh, Spider-Man deals with the cops in fairly short order, but in the process takes a bullet to the shoulder. Um, Molten Man breaks into a lab and finds this woman whom he forces to make a... He gives her the drugs he stole and he's like, I need you to make a cure for me. And she's like, do it yourself. I'm not going to do it for you. And he's like, number one, if you don't, I will set you on fire with my skin. Number two, <laughs> I can't do it myself. I, I'm too hot. Yeah. And so she does. Um, and she completes the cure, injects him with it somehow. Um, and it works, but only for a minute. He then starts to revert... And he is livid. Um, Liz walks along with Harry, Mary Jane, and Flash Thompson. Um, Flash is only kind of there. Like, he's in the background. He doesn't really do anything in this. But it's him. Because Mary Jane is walking with someone. And he has red hair. So, whatever. Um... Suddenly some police roll up and he's like, and the cop is like, ma'am, you need to come with me. She says, well, okay. (coughs) Harry, of course, is just like, um, you know, gazoom tight. Um, (coughs) Harry is like, no, she's already been through enough and she, you have no reason to take her back in. And they're like, sir. The molten man has taken a hostage and he is demanding to speak with her. And she's like, it's fine. I will go with him. Um, Peter gets home and gets a call from Joe Robertson saying, hey, uh, molten man's taken hostages. Go cover it. So um, these disparate groups all converge. Uh, Liz gets there, um, and, uh, Peter is there, but kind of in the back of the crowd, sees what's going on, so he goes and switches to Spider-Man and heads over to the building. Um, Liz goes inside to talk to Molten Man, Spider-Man follows, um, there's a fight after he accidentally, like, he's he's walking along the ceiling trying to covertly get close, but the heat causes the ceiling to be uh, less than structurally sound, so a chunk comes off and the Molten Man is just like, eh, Um, there's a battle. A 
an oxygen tank explodes which winds up uh knocking out Liz but she is she comes to and is uh <clears throat> still in the middle of things um but it winds up that uh Liz is like right near the edge of the blown out portion of the building molten man comes to her to be like here give me your you know let me help you and she's like no you will burn me yeah um so spider-man manages to grab her and get out of there uh at which point the building explodes and molten man is seemingly killed um liz is broken up about it and harry's just like hey it's okay and she runs because we now have to do the uh foggy nelson debbie thing where it's just like a thing happened and now i want nothing to do with you bye um i like the fight um because and i don't know why like daredevil can't pull this off as often or but like he's hurt that's one thing uh liz is in the way that's another and like the priorities keep shifting around like what he needs to do uh i i mean i don't really like how the fight starts because you shouldn't have been doing that maybe she could have talked him down right but like I mean, well, at least you should have hung back a little longer to find out if she could talk him down. Um, But once the fight starts, and like I say, the shifting priorities and then the explosion in the middle, like, it's a really good fight. Um, Yeah. I I just, yeah. Uh, Harry, at the end is that is what it is uh i don't know the fight's the part that i like the most about this yeah um excuse me uh so the um amazing spider-man number 174 has a cover by Ross Andrew and Frank Giacoya and is inked by Jim Mooney and Tony DeZuniga and lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, there is a... Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> there is an American paramilitary group uh, in this called the People's Liberation Army. Um, and they have, they have been up to shit. Um, but the, uh, the upshot of it is that, um, you know, they've been carrying out various domestic, domestic terrorism. Um, and in doing so, um, they have earned the ire of, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, 
Um, but they wind up also on the hit list of one Punisher. Um, and uh, in in the course of things, uh, the People's Liberation Front uh, hires Hitman to kidnap J. Jonah Jameson for them. Um, so yeah. The the short version is all of this can all of these elements converge. Peter goes to the bugle to uh, find out about find out about you know pictures that need to be taken or money or what have you. Um, that while he's there, Hitman arrives and tries to take Jameson hostage. Marla is able to turn on the um, intercom and so everybody hears what's happening. Um, so Peter makes his excuses and I do not care. I'm sorry. I'm trying really hard but I just, everything about, I hate the Punisher. I hate the Punisher so much. Uh, yeah. And combine that with the hitman who I do not give a shit about. And Jonah's, Jonah's in danger. And again, I don't care because it's just like, I know how this is going to go. I know that Jonah will be in danger and Spider-Man will help him. And Jonah will just go right on hating Spider-Man and so on and so forth. Um, and that's what happens. But anyway, uh, at one point, uh, Peter does pay a visit to Harry Osborn and Flash is there. Um, Flash makes some comment which sets Harry the fuck off. Um, so they take him to see his doctor. Um... Um, oh God, I am an idiot. So I didn't see the, the thing coming that's at the end of us all this whole week. Um, like, so they're setting up here that, uh, maybe because Liz left, maybe Harry's breaking up and, Mm -hmm. uh, under the stress and then after they take him to the doctor, there's an accident at the doctor's place, and the because that's the more interesting. I guess we finish this two run, and then we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, I don't mean like okay, Punisher and Spider. Can we skip to the end of this? Punisher and Spider Man are uh, attempting to save Jonah from a mini helicopter that the Hitman has on the roof. Right. Uh, and then we go to the next one. Yeah. Uh, the next one. Hitman is able to get away. Um, or, well, real quick. Uh, sorry. Uh, number 175 has a cover by Ross Andrew, Frank Giacoya, and Irving Watanabe, and is inked by Jim Mooney. Um, 
so Hitman is able to get away. It turns out that Punisher was shooting not at Hitman, but at the engine in an attempt to bring the chopper down. Um, And Spider-Man... Spider-Man gets a tracer on it, but he hits the wheel because his arm is fucked. Uh, They get jumped by the Renacops at the bugle and, and peace out afterward. Um, we find out that Marla might actually be a human, whatever. Um, and then on the way, as they're following the tracer, uh, Punisher starts conveying like how he knows the Hitman, which is uh, Hitman saved his life in Nam after he got hit in, you know, they their unit had got hit by a uh, mortar of some kind. Uh, the guy dragged him to safety and then killed a bunch of dudes. Um, they follow the tracer to a farmhouse where... Okay, and that's where this starts. They follow the tracer to a farmhouse. Meanwhile, Harry is seeing his uh, therapist, Dr. Barton, Barton Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> And during the session, Barton Hamilton says something about Liz and, like, their compatibility and whether or not uh, Harry thought Liz was worth his time and starts interrogating him on that. Harry loses his fucking shit, and we're meant to believe that... And in the end, it looks like Harry beat the crap out of... Uh, Barton Hamilton, possibly, you know, yeah, maybe killing him. Uh, back at the farmhouse, Spider-Man and uh, Punisher. Wow, that was weird. Uh, blank on her. Take out the two goons uh, watching the helicopter, and then they we switch to the leader of the People's Liberation Force um, front. Or is it the front? Uh, yes. And and Hitman. Hitman's like, man, I just want to get paid. Uh, can we do this? Uh, the guy, the leader dude's like, no, we gotta do a bombing first. So they're gonna take him to the Statue of Liberty, struss him up on the top of it, and then blow up the whole thing. Jameson is really annoying here. Because, you know, one thing you can generally say is that um, Jameson is a man of his principles. Um, Those principles may be wrong at times, but he sticks with them and blah, blah, blah. But when it's looking like the, the leader of the PLF is going to just kill him, he's like, please let me, you know, I'll give you a free subscription to the Daily Bugle, <laughs> yeah, let me live. and I'll, I'll say whatever to... you want. I'll talk about how great the People's Liberation Front <laughs> is. And they're just like, well, no, because the whole point of this is, A, to get you to stop writing that bullshit, but also, B, to act as a warning to anyone else who might try to. And he's like, oh, well, then in that case, fuck you, fuck your movement, I fucked your mom, and... uh Stuff like that, but whatever. It's um, definitely a little wishy-washy. Yeah. 
he's a he's a little grovelly here and it's kind of irritating but uh they take him up and they put him he want the hitman is in the torch yep uh while jameson is on top of the head of the statue of liberty punisher and spider-man head head in uh having arrived with the little mini helicopter um there's a fight what the way it winds up is that hitman is dangling from one part of the crown while jame while jameson is being held by spider-man who is dangling from another part of the crown Spider-Man, of course, has the bullet wound in his shoulder, so he can't really continue to hold on. So Punisher has to make a choice. The hitman's like, hey, you owe me a life, blah, blah, blah. And Punisher's just like, well, and goes and helps Spider-Man, at which point Hitman lets go and smashes to the ground. Uh, But not before saying that the Punisher did come through on that, which is... He owed him a life. Whatever. Um, this is... This is... So this is interesting. In the larger context of what we're going to be reading this week. Uh, not just because of the Harry stuff. But also because both this and the run of Spectacular Spider-Man we read. Um, are dealing with things that were an ongoing concern at this point in time. Um, you, you, when you look at it, if you're like me and you started reading comics in the eighties and you were, were born in the eighties, you're unaware of a lot of the, you know, the paramilitary groups, the cults, that would spring out through spring up throughout the 1960s and 70s and so it's interesting to look at this we have the the people's liberation front which is analogous we don't really get a lot of in terms of their specific ideology but they're analogous to like the weather underground or what have you these domestic terrorism groups that were springing up left and right during this time uh and then of course with brother power and sister son you get into a lot of the um the cults that were that were coming about during this time that's not to say that there haven't continued to be cults in the united states but certainly the wave of cults that came about following the sort of free love era of the 60s yeah there was definitely like a wave of them unlike the period following that where sure you had cults like the branch davidians or um heaven's gate or what have you that would make the news but you know in the 60s and 70s you had like the moonies and like a lot of these groups that were springing up left and right where somebody was just like, Hey man, what if we all just got together and fucked? And then it becomes like a whole movement. And it's really interesting to, to read these within the context of that. Um, 
Yeah. It's interesting that they're using those tools, right? Yeah. It would be easy to just be like, eh, that's a little spicy. But I guess at the time it was happening so often that you'd just be like, well, yeah, of course. Now I read it and I'm like, it's a little, hey. Uh, but then is an entire, it's, it's interesting to see it as those kind of things as nearly normalized, right? They're still wacky and weird, but like, it's normal enough. It happens often enough that it isn't, uh, taboo's not the right word, but like, uh, you can distill it down so that it'll fit into a comic, I guess. Right. right. Like it's been enough. It, it's happened enough around you that you know what the trappings are to get into it, to use the framework. Right. Without getting, it's, without it's getting not, specifics. You can, you can do something like this and have a thing <coughs> and just call them the people, Lib- people's liberation front and trust that the majority of your readers are going to be able to fill in the blanks regardless. Yeah. And this is this is one of those things that's really interesting when you view it through the like this is what comics has always done. Yeah. You know, comics have always sort of taken what's going on in the world around them, not just not just like the world wars and the vietnams and the Watergates and stuff like that, but everything and put them, everything that's happening within the cultural zeitgeist is going to be in a comic book at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to look at that, you know, and, you know, you look at it now and it's like you've got, um, you've got like civil war taking place in a post 9-11 U.S., um, and the way that fits within that framework, uh, you have, you have this happening in the seventies. You have, um, I'm trying to think what, uh, what all they did in the, in the nineties, you had the legacy virus as a stand in for things like AIDS, uh, you know, and it's always done this stuff. Um, because like, the people the people who were reading this um they couldn't they couldn't not know you know it's yeah. it's one of those things of people talk about whether or not you should discuss like heavy heavy concepts with your children and and I'll say as as a parent they fucking know, man. Like they may not they may not be able to conceptualize like everything that's happened or put put words to what specifically is going on and like who the players are and things like that. But they know something's going on. And yeah, it's when the di- you... it's it's the difference between having and not having the context you're not talking about the issue right because they already know the issue like there's a there's a thing everyone's doing the thing what is the thing and then 
everyone you you need to give the context so that they understand oh words have meaning like that kind of thing um, yeah then it's it's cool for sure to see this kind of thing reflected in comics like it's always like you were saying there's always something regardless of what it is like anybody again going back to it and here we piss some people off but if you if you come in at me with <clears throat> there's no politics and keep your politics out of my comics i'm like Fuck, i don't know where you're getting that impression from yeah but like, like oh okay you clearly haven't read any of the comics because even in well, the 80s I, it was all about big money and like things like that I think I think the fundamental disconnect comes from the fact that somebody who doesn't know about Watergate, for example, mm-hmm. looks at something like Secret Empire in Captain America. If they if they are unaware of Watergate and the the overall like feeling in the United States when Watergate went down, then reading those issues of of Captain America, it's just like, okay, it's a fun comic book story where Cap gets a bit disillusioned. But you know, you if you actually if you actually like take the time to to familiarize yourself with literally anything that happened before you started reading started reading <laughs> comics you quickly realize that yeah there there have always been there have always been politics in comics always it is unavoidable because not only not only with characters like captain america or what have you but in everything because because people people consider that politics is a separate thing people think that politics is a game you play every four years and then you just kind of don't worry about it but the but the fact that the fact that these things happen and they impact people all across the country all the time um you know you can't you can't divorce it from that and um <coughs> i mean that's the nature of art right it is intrinsically linked to humanity and like the way humanity interacts with each other is what politics is like mm-hmm. how we choose to represent ourselves it's irritating but yeah well that got kind of heavy yeah um amazing spider-man number 176 has a cover by ross andrew frank giacoya and annette kowecki and is inked by jim mooney and tony dezunica um peter returns uh, JJ 
to his office and tells the like gets kind of sick of JJ shit yet again and tells him where to cram it um and then the next morning wakes up his arm is way better um goes to see Anne May and it turns out she's out protesting again uh she has another altercation with police uh during which she has a heart attack um peter like jumps over several people and like throws the cop out of the way and um the cop is like about ready to blow his head off and his superior is just like what are you doing and uh the cop's like, did you see what that guy did? He's some kind of mutant. And he's like, he was worried about his aunt. Uh, it was adrenaline. You gotta calm the fuck down. You nearly shot a kid. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh shit. Whereas if this were today, it probably would have been like, it's fine. I'd have just planted some weed on him. Um, but uh they get Aunt May to the hospital and MJ shows up and she's like, Hey, you know, how you doing? And he's like, ha, um, ha everything sucks and I haven't even told you about some of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um Oh yeah, because he's also is that has that already started? He's failing. Uh he failed enough of his classes that he's not going to graduate with the rest of he's ever, not, with yeah, everybody he's else. He's not going to graduate. And <sighs> I'm not sure. I forget when he talks to his dean, but there's not a lot that can be done. Yeah. So he's just going to have to take night classes to catch up and maybe graduate next semester. But of course, we know he's not going to. So. Um, he and MJ. So. Uh, I actually like this interaction at the hospital a lot because we're we're back at a place in their relationship where there's nothing official and they're not it's not like they're making out or anything but like they clear she clearly cares about him yeah. and he's and he's doing a good job of like reciprocating that and they've fi- I think where we're at now is they finally set the ground rules where it's like we both care about each other but neither of us are allowing each other to get maybe as close as we want to because there's something with you Peter you won't right you won't do the things that I there's something with you and because of that I feel like because I'm MJ and I don't want to get that close anyway yet we're just not gonna um and so Makes me m- mad. <laughs> most of the time that sucks but this time it's like or in the, in this instance or this conversation it's like I just like that they she helps him during this yeah shitty after no i i i agree it's just it goes back to the whole just fucking tell her man oh yeah i mean absolutely 
he's he's carrying all this shit around and he needs somebody to talk to yeah and he doesn't have that and it's really annoying it would be um i don't I mean, we've seen several times that, like, he gets unmasked or somebody else gets unmasked and everybody's just like, okay, who the hell is that brown-haired white guy? Um, Yeah. And, like, so it's... If you let... I understand that his whole thing is, like, if I let anyone know, then their life becomes infinitely more in danger. And it's like, I don't know, man. That's kind of debatable. We've talked about that before. Like, not knowing has also put her in danger. Uh, But, like... And she doesn't know... Uh, yeah that's yeah so if she knew she'll be she will be pissed but things will start to make sense at least yeah i don't know i i like the way uh cracks after hours did an episode about um about it and they're just like yeah you don't tell your villains because they're villains but like by not telling your family all that's gonna happen is Anne May is gonna get attacked by a tentacle rape cosplayer and she'll have no idea why. And it and it's true, like yeah, you don't go announcing your secret identity to fucking everybody, but like so many problems in Peter's life could be avoided if he like even if we accept, oh, I can't tell Aunt May because it'd kill her. Okay, fine. Whatever. That's not the case with MJ. Or, you know, that's not... I know he can't tell Harry because that could set off a whole thing in his brain that brings the Green Goblin back. But, like, tell somebody. He needs Tell one. somebody. You need somebody... That you can just be like, okay, there's all this shit in my personal life, but also the Green Goblin. <laughs> and they can be like, oh shit, what's he doing now? And he can be like, well... and like, <laughs> But also, Harry's the Green Goblin again. Fuck! And they can just yeah. be like, oh shit, uh, what do you need me to do? And I'm like, I don't know, keep an eye on him? Just tell, call me when he leaves the room? <laughs> um, yeah, like, somebody... Somebody's got to... That's that's the frustrating thing is, you know... Far for, or uh, Homecoming at least had somebody find out in fairly short order. Yeah. And then he was able to, like, run interference and, like, assist in some way other than just being like, where the fuck is Peter? Why is Peter such a coward? Like, anytime there's trouble, he disappears. Like, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, Peter heads out and he happen he goes by Dr. Hamilton's office to check in on how Harry's doing. Uh, the place is trashed and a cop is just like, yeah, we don't really know what happened. Wait a minute. Why the fuck am I talking to you? Get out. (laughs) And, uh, so he's like, oh shit, Harry's the green goblin again. Um, Peter hurries to the, to Flash and Harry's apartment. He gets there 
and the place has been trashed and uh, the goblin is menacing Flash um, and Peter you know Peter tries to uh, to talk to him goblins not having that tosses Flash out the window and it's like an oh shit not this again uh, cliffhanger ending um Amazing Spider-Man number 177 has a cover by Ross Andrew and Joe Sinnott and is inked by Mike Esposito and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, he goes and saves Flash, deposits Flash back on the back on the roof and then uh, tries to go after the goblin. But of course, yeah. Um, so. uh Spider-Man's like, what, what happened? And Flash is like, I don't know, man. There was just this goblin asshole. And, uh, Peter's like, okay, okay. All right. And, but then the cops show up. And so Flash is like, you better get out of here. And Spider-Man's like, good call. Later. <laughs> I'm already um, gone. Bye. Uh, yeah. Then we cut to a warehouse in Brooklyn somewhere or matt no it's the lower east side but a, a storefront actually that uh goblin has somebody in a mask uh goblin's got somebody tied to a chair there's a hood on that guy's face with the eye holes goblin is ranting and raving about how um he you know he put the mask on him because he couldn't stand to look at his face anymore uh, and definitely didn't want to hear. He's gagged clearly underneath the hood. Uh, and it... Like, look, it got me. I'm an idiot, though, so your mileage may vary. But, like, I'm... I was under the opinion, basically... Okay, so... They do a good job here of being like, this goblin is insane, right? This goblin is mm -hmm. crazy, and the things that he's saying doesn't make any sense. So, it's hairy, right? You're just led to assume... This is Harry. Uh, and that the guy under the mask is Dr. Hamilton. <clears throat> and that's basically where we leave this scene. Is like, he's making bomb he's making pumpkin bombs and uh, says that his whole... His whole modus operandi now is to become the kingpin, basically. Like, he's going to take over the crime of the city. And yeah. he heads off to a meeting that he knows about. Or no, no, he heads off to find out about the meeting. Uh, this is this whole thing is really frustrating to me. Because the goblin talks about how his hostage's face is covered because he couldn't bear to look at his simpering face. And it's just like, come on, man. I'm not, I'm not dumb. Like, just, just say you don't want him to see where the hideout is or you don't want to, it doesn't, whatever. But also like, it was Harry. I knew it was Harry the whole time that was in, whatever. Fine. Let's, let's move on. Um, so Peter happens across um, 
some dudes who are getting ready to kill snitches or whatever. Uh, and he's not able to fully change into his Spider-Man costume, so he sticks to the shadows. And his the uh, button for his web shooters isn't extended, so he has no webs. Uh, but he's able to take these guys out, and in the process finds a an invitation one of them has that talks about, you know... Uh, meeting at the top of the world and blah 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 um, and May meanwhile is not doing well and MJ is trying to reach Peter but of course Peter's out spider-manning um, of course this could be solved uh, one of two ways number one if it were the present day he'd have a cell phone and number two tell her you're fucking spider-man yeah, but whatever. Um, so, Peter manages to work out the top of the world is actually referring to a uh, a restaurant at the top of the World Trade Center. Never forget. Um, and so he heads there and come in comes in through a um through a duct. This is like the one time this week that Peter has been crawling around in the HVAC system that I'm just like, okay, this actually serves a purpose. The rest of the time, I'm just like, there was probably a door you could have used, man. <laughs> but, uh, so he, he climbs into a duct, uh, and the meeting begins, at which point it is interrupted by the Green Goblin. Um, who interrupts Silvermane, who's like, hey, what if we all, like, came together to do a thing? But, like, stop coming together to do a thing. Just stop. Because, invariably, what that ha what winds up happening is, uh, you come together to do a thing, somebody's at the head of it, they wind up getting arrested or killed, there's a power vacuum and then the entire city erupts into gangland warfare because you all just had to come together to do a thing. But whatever. Yeah. <sighs> Organized crime in Marvel's New York is very, very dumb. Uh, yeah. Silvermane is not a threat because I've seen this happen so many times that I'm just like... I mean, this is, it's new-ish, the way that this goes down. Like, you're not going to be able to organize, you're going to end up losing, but like, the only it's way that it's... just a riff on a theme, basically. Yeah, the, it's jazz, man. Uh, <laughs> they, <laughs> because this time it's Goblin that actually... Fuck you. <laughs> it's Goblin that brings most of the way down, um, instead of peter on his own uh, or hubris or any of that thing it's it's he's only a threat because i think if goblin weren't here it feels like maybe he actually could have accomplished it like the thing that annoys me is that no one within these organizations ever seems to have the like infomercial epiphany the there's gotta got to be, be a, a better, better way, way. <laughs> like 
They just keep doing the same thing. It's always just like some dude gets it in his head to be the guy and he sets about becoming the guy and then he becomes the guy only to lose or die or get arrested. (laughs) I mean... And then it becomes a thing. Yeah, he becomes the guy and then has his shit pushed in by Captain America in front of everybody else. And you're like... How many times can that happen before the dude, before everybody in the organization's like, you know what? Or the various organizations are just like, when Hammerhead comes forward and is like, I'm going to be the guy. And the Magia is just like, uh, nah. What if we had a series of the guys and all of them overseas an area, and we all work together, sure, but then, like, maybe this fucking wouldn't happen every (laughs) goddamn year. Instead of one guy, how about we have, like, a quorum? Yeah, it... (laughs) A new kingpin is like Easter. The date may change, but it comes every fucking year. Yep. And... Yeah. So anyway, so this so ends Green with Goblin. yeah, Green Sorry. Goblin busting into the meeting and interrupting Silvermane and basically hijacking what Silvermane was going to do and be like, "I'm going to be the guy." And Silvermane's like, "Fuck you! How you know? A, you've been dead. B, you show <laughs> you show no credential to run a crime organization. Who the fucker? Who the fuck are you? Why would you? Why would we let you do that?" And Goblin's like, because I'm going to kill Spot, kill or capture Spider-Man, and I will bring his head right here. And they're like, you know, the rest of the dudes are like, Spider-Man, kill Spider-Man. Okay, well, we're listening. Give you 24 hours to do that. Come back and we can talk. And Silvermane's like, The thing that gets their attention is he reveals that he knows who Spider-Man is. And he's like, and I'm going to reveal it to you. And that's where we leave this issue. It's just uh, like, oh, <coughs> shit. Okay. Whatever. Um, I'm going to tell you, his name is Peter Parker. Who the fuck is that? Well, um. <laughs> yeah. The, the funny thing is, it's like at any given time, most people are going to be like, Who? But then, like, you know, before, before, before uh, Superior Spider-Man, the only people who would have known who Peter Parker is would have been either people that directly know him uh, or photography snobs. Yeah. Uh, And then, like, now it would be like, it would be like finding out that Elon Musk is (laughs) Spider-Man. But... (laughs) Whatever. Um, the Amazing Spider-Man number 178 is inked by Jim Mooney. And uh, they're all just like, you know who Spider-Man is. You're going to tell us, right? And he's like, no. What am I, fucking stupid? And it's like, well, you're dressed as a goblin. Throwing Halloween-themed uh, gadgets and puttering around town on a glider so 
do you really want people to answer that? I mean, maybe not um, stupid, but you got a whole thing going on. You might just tell us. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things that if you knew someone like this in real life, not even a supervillain, but just someone <laughs> who had a theme going on at all times. Yeah. And they were just like, come on, what do you take me for? Like, there is no easy answer to that like, question well, that's not going to lead them to, like, a pint of ice cream. Like, as yeah, they uh, cry it out. <laughs> like, hey, uh, but whatever. What do you take me for, uh, man? Oh, man. Uh, uh shit. So, Lots I gotta tell that. you about the... Th- <laughs> so, okay, wait. Start. Let's start with your hat jesus christ because uh, there's always a hat when you got one of those guys that's got a fucking theme there's a hat um yeah. anyway you usually yeah so yeah. goblin gets them convinced that he's going to bring them spider-man dead or alive within 48 hours and he leaves to go do that at which point, Spider-Man tries to leave. He's still in an air vent watching all of this happen. He turns around and fucks up his shoulder some more. Or something. Bangs on the goddamn side of the thing. And the mafia goons all hear him, start shooting at the walls. He has to bust out and uh, kick everybody's ass. Which he does. Silvermane gets away. Um... Woo. Back at the hospital, May is still sick and needs surgery, but because, uh, I guess Peter has some power of attorney or something that they need his signatures before they can start doing the surgery. Um, and Mary Jane sets out to, leaves the hospital to go fucking find him because he's not answering his phone. Peter goes home and is trying to study when Glory comes by there uh, there's a gag um, I'm trying to re- remember if anything like Green Goblin goes back to the hideout yeah. uh, and he's just like you're a piece of shit, random hooded figure that we want people to believe is Dr. Hamilton. Uh, Mary Jane goes to the bugle looking for Peter. And I I do like that, um, you know, Jonah is initially just like, this isn't a dating service. Get the fuck out of here. Like, I'm trying to run a business. And she goes, I'm sorry, it's just his aunt's very sick and I cannot find him anywhere. And Jonah's just like, Oh, oh, uh, well, come on in. You can try him from my phone. Maybe he's come home in the interim. Um, And so she tries and Peter, (laughs) like the shitty timing here, Peter is leaving. Yeah. And he hears the phone and he's just like, whatever, I got shit to do. But for whatever reason, he's just like, you know what? I should check. So he goes back, answers the phone, and Mary Jane's like, 
you need to get to the hospital. I will meet you there. And he's like, yeah, okay. okay." Uh, He's like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. And he's out. Uh, And he's picked up by the... While he's on his way, Green Goblin finds him. They have a fight. Um, And Peter keeps being like, Harry, I don't have the fucking time right now. You need to get off my ass or my aunt's going to die. And Goblin's like, fuck you, I don't care, I'm insane, da-da-da. And he's like, uh, finally he just goes, okay, done now, and hits him with everything he's got. Which, of course, no matter who the Goblin is, they ain't taking that well. Um, So he puts him on the ground and heads off to, starts heading back to the hospital. On the way, Goblin gets up and uh, traps him in some kind of ghost net. Uh, that he can't break out of and starts dragging him away from the hospital. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And we see Mary Jane, like, anxiously waiting (coughs) for Peter. And and it's just like, again, this is one of those times when it would have been way better for her to know you're Spider-Man. Because then when you get there, you can just be like, you know... Oh my god, I'm so sorry. And she can be like, where the fuck were you? And you can just be like, Green Goblin. <laughs> and she's like, oh, okay. Because, yeah. like, as it stands, she thinks you're just an asshole. <laughs> like, and when you get there, Willing, willing to roll hours, the dice. Yeah, willing to roll the dice that your aunt might die if you don't put some hustle in your getting to the hospital. Like, yeah. I yeah. Yep. Alright. Yeah. And and in Amazing Spider Man number one seventy nine, with a cover by Ross Andrew, Mike Esposito, and Irving Watanabe, and inked by Mike Esposito, that's exactly what happens. He he is captured by the Green Goblin. Some mobsters show up and they're just like who work for Silvermane. Silvermane figures if he if Green Goblin shows up with Spider Man, he's done for. So these mobsters attack Green Goblin. In the process, they wing Green Goblin's glider and uh, rip the fabric of the uh, the fucking party favor. I really <coughs> Green Goblin, cool design. Yeah, pumpkin bombs, cool electrified bat boomerangs mm. this weird ghost decoration that he throws at peter uh no no i'm sorry you gotta no i get that halloween is like your theme here but like you're taking it too far afield you gotta you gotta stick with you know the rays coming out of the fingers fine do that the pumpkin bombs, cool. But, like, when you start mixing it up with every goddamn... Hol- like, next thing you're going to tell me, he's got, like... um, What do you call those things that are... That you throw on a road to blow... Caltrops? Caltrops? You're going to tell me he's got, like, candy corn caltrops. <laughs> and, like, 
all the like it doesn't you don't need that dude you're a goblin it's yeah fine yeah but whatever so especially Spider-Man because like the bag free. of tricks thing becomes such a pivotal <laughs> plot point throughout this yeah but peter is able to free himself from the ghost uh but he lands in a dumpster and is knocked out the mobsters take him he comes to in the car handcuffed breaks out and gets to the hospital he's able to sign the stuff but uh while they wheel aunt may into surgery mary jane's just like where the fuck were you and like i said what are you what are you supposed to say there was traffic like it's new york still people get around uh you know like you stopped for coffee like just tell her tell her because then at the very least you've got somebody else who can help you come up with a convincing lie yeah so that when when her aunt is like where the fuck is peter i can't believe this i swear to god i'm gonna murder him if he doesn't get here in the next 15 seconds, then MJ can run in, but in interference with that. Like it's, it's, it would be so much easier for fucking everybody. Um, if at least MJ knew, um, she's perfect yeah. for that too. Like she's positioned yeah. in all the white, right ways to know. Ah, eh. And then like, you know the the annual we read last week your dates aren't constantly getting ruined and you don't have to be like i'm sorry there was a wardrobe i split my pants and i had to run into the bathroom to sew them real quick before anyone saw my butt like yeah you can just be like sorry dude stole some shit yeah <laughs> anyway. sorry uh, you saw what happened, though, right? Like, we're cool? And she's like, I mean, yeah, are you alright? Like, and that's a much better... <sighs> anyway. Alright, so Goblin with his winged glider just makes it back to the hideout. Uh, he picks up a new his glider. glider is always winged. Ha ha ha! And picks up a different glider and sets back out after... Smacking the hostage, a good one. Um, uh, Robertson shows up at the hospital uh, while they're waiting for Mary or Aunt May to get done with surgery. Uh, I like this moment with uh, Joe because I really think Joe knows. I would be completely fine. Well, except for that one scene a couple of books ago where he, Peter showed or Spider-Man showed up at Robertson's house and Joe was like, "Fucking no." Like, <laughs> we have there are goddamn limits here. Um yeah. Still, way, I, I mean even if he doesn't know, this was a this was a stand-up thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um but the uh they're waiting and peter is kind of you know champing at the bit and 
they get a they get a call uh, that um, the the goblin has attacked Radio City Music Hall, and Jonah wants Peter to go take pictures of it. And Joe's like, it might do you some good to get out of here. And Peter's like, yeah, okay. So he goes and changes, and he gets there, and he he doesn't know it's a fight between Silvermane and Green Goblin. He just knows that Green Goblin's there. Uh, <clears throat> it is <coughs> in the process in the process of all of this, you know, it winds up that Goblin is flying around and has Silvermane and Spider-Man and they all wind up falling off. Uh, but then, like, Goblin is able to get out of it and Peter is able to... Um, well, that's well, next issue. That's next issue, my bad. Yeah, the end of so, this issue is uh, the hostage getting to the broken glider and using the that, that Goblin had left on the floor, using the wing to cut his restraints, and uh, pulls off the hood, revealing that the hostage is Harry Osborne. Um, which, shock and awe. Sh- I am an idiot and was like, oh, shit. Because I'm an idiot. I don't care. You can make fun of me all you want. No, 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 no. <laughs> look, look. I... All I'm saying, I do not claim to well, be... I don't claim to be... A, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm a super genius and I saw it coming. Like, I watch mystery movies and I have or mystery TV shows and I have no idea who did it until the end. And then, like, when they reveal who did it, and how they were caught and all of that. I sit there clapping like a circus seal. So I'm not trying to like be like, you didn't see that coming. I'm just saying that the fact that they kept him hooded the whole time. Right. I I'm mean, like, as soon as the hood Harry. came off, and it, as soon as the hood came off, and it was Harry, and I was like, yeah, I probably should have known it was Harry. <laughs> like that's still cool. Uh, well, okay, it's cool to me because of what comes next. Right? Yeah. All right, so Amazing Spider-Man number 180 has a cover by Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito and is lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, they're all fouling. Um Goblin manages to get back on his glider uh, and grab Spider-Man. Silvermane, meanwhile, just falls to the floor and uh so yeah goblin takes off um harry osborne gets free finishes getting free and goes to uh is just like i'm gonna kill that fucking guy and so he goes and he gets on a goblin costume and grabs a glider um the a third glider by the way I guess we're just. Glider. I guess we just stockpile Nor- them. Norman Osborn. I mean, Norman Osborn is a smart guy, so he has a bunch of gliders in a bunch of different places scattered around the city. Fuck it. Yeah. All so, right. uh, you know, Goblin One takes Spider-Man to the factory where he dumped the body of the clone. 
uh, they fight, during which it turns we find out that this go- that Goblin One is Doctor Hamilton. Um, in the process, you know, he talks about how having been assigned Harry's case, he wound up finding out a, all this shit about the Green Goblin and finding out who Peter really is and finding out about goblin stashes. He goes to check it out uh, in order to confirm it. Uh, and he he initially approached this as, hey, I could write like the ultimate book on supervillains here. Like, but then <coughs> as he starts toying around with all of it, he's like, oh shit, uh, forget writing a book about this. I'm going to become the Green Goblin. Um, he hypnotized Harry, and it's here that we find out that Harry is the one who took the photos of Peter disposing of the clone and sent them to Jay Jonah Jameson uh, while under post-hypnotic suggestions from Dr. Hamilton. Um, and we find, you know, we find out exactly how involved Hamilton has been in everything that's happened for the last several issues. Um, but then this is interrupted when Goblin 2 shows up and he's like, you're a fucking dead man. Um, and, uh, so they fight. The thing that I like here is the fact that, uh, Harry, in the course of the fight, just tears off the costume of the goblin, which, were this not comics, and were I not already aware of the fact that Harry goes on being the goblin, this would be a really cool moment, where it's like he's literally just, like, done with this shit. Yeah. Um, but he does, and it it's not, so fuck it um but uh in the they wind up on this conveyor belt and hamilton has this little like it look it looks like a pen but it's yeah. a little detonator slash bomb device um and he's like fuck y'all like if if i lose we all die uh, but then he kind of fucks up and winds up blowing up just himself. And uh, I look, I looked because I'm like, you know, no one really, no one really stays dead in comics. But no, he's dead. Like <laughs> he dead. Uh, all the way, actually dead. Okay, good. Uh, like the only time he shows up again is during the clone conspiracy that they did a few years ago. Oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So, uh, Peter's like, okay, well, cool. (laughs) And he takes Harry home. When they arrive, Liz is there and she's like, I'm so sorry I ran. And he's like, I don't care. Like, you're back and that's all that matters. Um, and again, I would feel very happy about all of this, but that I already know what's going to happen to them. So, Spectacular Spider-Man. Yep. <laughs> no. Uh, 
But uh, okay, so overall, this run of Amazing Spider-Man, what do you uh, what do you think? I like this Goblin story overall. Yeah. Um, I know that like I should have you know the reveal shouldn't have been as surprising as it was, but I still I thought it worked. Um, it's a decent enough fake out. It's a story that. really only works because it is a story that really only works because the last two issues of it are fucking great um and pull it together right at the end like everything just snaps to um so that some of the wandering around that we've been doing in the previous few issues are um resolved really quickly in satisfying ways um i like the goblin fight at the end um, a lot and it like you said the him ripping the costume off feels extremely cathartic uh, for a lot of different reasons I don't know it just it works because the last two issues are so good for to me um, or yeah they, they snap everything together <coughs> sorry my my only thing is... The reveal could have been handled a lot better. Um, and I'm not just... I'm. The thing that bothers me about it is the fact that Harry is tied to a chair with his head covered draws attention yeah. to what it is. If they had... There were ways they could have done this. They could have had the goblin have a couple of dudes working for him at this point and like one of them could have come in and been like hey that guy you took hostage he's down there crying and he's just like I don't have time to deal with that simpering little fool I owe him a lot for making me what I am now but I just can't deal with this shit at the moment then at least you make it clear that there is a hostage Without having to do the whole bag over the head thing. Yeah. And it would have... I would have been like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. but the fact... The fact that... They did such a lampshade thing here. Where it's just like, don't... You'll find out what the deal is with that. Like... Just no, I mean, I know. More. It calls its... It does call itself atten- or it call attention to itself so so much that it's like, well, that's Harry, um, or this is not what it seems clearly, right? Um, and this is serving some part of the story that we want to do later, um, or even I mean, maybe you could have done the reveal earlier, and then. If you do the reveal the first time that he goes... Like, there's no bag, right? And... Or there's no hood. And the first time... Because the goblin shows up the first time... And Peter just automatically thinks it's Harry... Because of the altercation that already happened. Like, for the most part throughout this story... Peter thinks it's Harry, but the audience knows. Like, would that... If you did it earlier... I think that would have been okay, too. Um, maybe because then it I, becomes I like know. how does P- how does Harry get out of this 
and right. oh no Peter that's not Harry you don't have to hold back like that's yeah. I mean I have a different resonance with the story anyway I don't know I just I feel like there this was n- either way this was not the best way to do it but yeah. overall I enjoy like I enjoyed a lot of it so Spectacular Spider-Man number 12 has a cover by Al Milgram and Terry Austin, written by Bill Mantlo, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Mike Esposito, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Irving Watanabe, and edited by Archie Goodwin. And thank God we finally get some resolution to this whole Shawshan thing. Um, Yep. So... Peter and Flash are playing tennis in the park and Flash is angry and just like lobbing ball after ball at Peter's head. Uh, Once they're done, Flash is like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm really broken up about all this shit. And Peter's like, it's fine. Uh, But it turns out that there's some big cult rally going on uh, in the park uh, for a group called the Legion of Light. Uh, Flash goes to investigate and it turns out that the leaders of this rally Brother Power and Sister Son uh, turn out to be uh, that dude Ahmed Korba and his wife Shashan whom Flash uh, had tried to talk to on several occasions but uh, he's like, oh my god, Bleh. and like, being who he is, he has to just go charging in there. So the two, like, hold hands and attack him with light powers from their chests. Um, Peter changes and goes to fight them, um, and doesn't really do a lot other than making himself come off as the bad guy but he is able to save Flash the police show up and they're just like fuck you Spider-Man and then they're like alright get back to whatever Looney Tune bullshit you're doing here and they're just like okay thanks (laughs) Uh, and so Peter or Spider-Man takes Flash back to his apartment and uh, then he goes by this professor's office and he's just like, what do you know about this Legion of Light? And uh, the professor tells him, you know, the the official backstory, which is that this guy, Ahmed, was perhaps involved in some shady shit in Saigon, but that there was a falling meteor uh, that he went to investigate and it turned out to be vaguely humanoid um, and that it imparted its power and told him to spread the message uh, but ba- you know in the course in the course of this we find out that the the Legion of Lights members are kind of spacey um, so uh, Peter goes back to his apartment and Flash is gone and Peter's like, fuck, I know where he went. Uh, but he reads the note, and sure enough, he went after Shawshank. So, Peter hurries over. 
Um, Flash gets manhandled a bit, but then Spider-Man shows up only to get blasted out a window and land in an alley. Uh, and then this shadow falls over him. Uh, so yeah. And then, and then the real fun begins. This is fucking batshit crazy and I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Um. It's just so fucking goofy. It it is incredibly goofy, but whatever. It's fun. It's the 70s and, you know, I, I enjoy, well, we'll get to that. Um. Spectacular Spider-Man number 13 has a cover by Sal Buscema and is colored by Janice Cohen <coughs> and lettered by Annette Kowacki. Um, Spider-Man... Uh, he pulls himself up out of, out of the alleyway and stands up and there's this giant man wearing a boar for a, he- a helmet. <laughs> wearing a boar's head for a helmet. And he's like, Hi! I was hoping, or he, he, Spider-Man stands up and thinks it's Brother Power, and he just goes, well, fuck it, and smashes him. Then he kind of gets his bearings and is like, oh shit, uh, what are you? And the dude's like, oh, I was hoping you'd do something like that. Now I, it gives me an excuse to uh, punch you. So they start fighting, and he go, he's like, name's Razorback, and uh, get... And uh, get used to it or something like. And he... So they... They fight. Razorback's using all these, like, CB terminology. Which we figured out later. Yeah. And, uh... But Peter kicks him into the restaurant... Or Spider-Man kicks him into the restaurant and jumps on his back when we find out that, you know, he's also... The main of the Razorback costume is electrified. And at that point, he's like... Razorback stands up and he's like... Okay, good enough. Hi, my name's also yeah. Bill, or whatever the fuck his name is. Bullock? Uh, Buford, didn't it? Buford Hollis, yeah. And he goes, uh, Hi, my name's Buford Hollis. I just figured that's how all you super hero types say hello. I'm from Texarkana, Arkansas, and we're gonna be friends now. And... Ugh. And uh, Spider-Man's like, what the fuck? You can just yeah. say hello. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, no, we're going to be cool. Yeah, so... I just like that they... Yeah. I love that they address this he- heroes fight heroes without talking as a, like, if you were from the outside and were maybe a little dumb... You would just think that that's how superheroes uh, greet each other upon first meeting. That's pretty yeah. great. Yeah. So, uh, Brother Power and Sister Son make their make their way out. Um, Flash comes to, or Flash is still upstairs. So, the two go running upstairs and find him. Um, and Razorback's just like, well, I got personal business with these two uh, cult leaders. Why, why don't I help you? And maybe in the process I can learn from you how to do this whole hero thing. And uh, Spider-Man's like, yeah, all right. Like, that's fine. 
Uh, but we then switch to to brother power and sister son, and it turns out that the the mentor that fell to earth is the hate monger. Um, and <clears throat> um. Spider-Man et al. are able to track down the uh, estate where the Legion of Light uh, hangs out, their compound, I guess. And uh, he goes in, but they knew they were coming, so they get taken down in pretty short order uh, and wind up being chained up with a bomb in the center, center of the room. Um, and of course the problem being Spider-Man and Razorback can't get leverage to break the chain. So it's looking real bad for them. Hatemonger, meanwhile, is just like, we've got a thing to get to. Let's go. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man number 14 is inked by John Tartaglioni and Mike Esposito colored by Irene Vartanoff and lettered by Karen D and Gaspar Saladino. And I apologize. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about number 13? Not really. Um, okay. I just Razorback's bobtail truck is, uh, is called big pig. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> flash flash had made a joke about like with everything that the big pig could do. Uh, does it does come it c- when you whistle? Yeah. Does it come when you call? Uh, yeah. And so number number 14 starts and they're just like, shit, what do we do? And uh, Razorback's like, if I could reach the thing on my belt, we could get out of this. And Spider-Man's like, all right. So he tries a few times and fails, but then he is able to bank his webbing enough that it is able to hit the belt buckle which sends out a pulse and the next thing you know the big pig comes slamming through the wall and it's just like oh my god it was a joke but holy shit it really does come when you call um (laughs) so they head to they head to the rally which is at this stadium um spider-man changes to peter parker and uses his press credentials to get in um hmm. excuse me then changes again and lets in razor back and flash i don't really know why we're we didn't drop flash off at home other than you know it serves it serves the story but like from a from a practical standpoint i don't know why spider-man wasn't just like we we should probably drop you off but whatever. Um, well, I imagine they had that conversation in the truck, and Flash was like, "No, you're fucking not." So, yeah. And if and um, if you spare me that conversation, I'm okay with it. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, you both have super strength. Flash can't make you do anything you don't want to do. Yeah. Other than if you let him. Uh, but anyway, so they split up and. Flash goes and tries to find uh, Razorback's sister. Um, 
and Spider-Man and Razorback go to confront the Hatemonger. Um, the Hatemonger, however, is able to make both of them attack each other for the second time this week. Um, and so uh, they are doing the standard, like, I don't want to do this, but sorry, bud, thing. And, uh, but then Flash attacks the hate monger. He is quickly dispatched, but in the process, he rips off, uh, hate monger's hood. And it's just like, oh shit, it's the man beast. If you don't recall the man beast, he was last seen on counter earth where he was devolved back into a wolf by... Adam Warlock. However, Adam Warlock, having been fucked off to the farthest reaches of the galaxy, uh, he was able to re-evolve into the Man-Beast and was able to escape Counter-Earth, make his way to Earth, yada yada yada. Um, Spectacular Spider-Man number 15 is inked by Ernie Chan, colored by Sam Cato, and lettered by Joe Rosen. Uh, the the upshot of all of this is that um, number one, we find out why Shawshan has gone along with all of this shit, and it turns out that her father, who was this monk, had told her, "You are going to be required to." maintain the balance between darkness and light you do what you have to do and this was what he was talking about so the whole reason she went along with any of this shit was so that she would be positioned so as to uh so as to make that happen temper Um, yeah temper brother power against doing anything yeah yeah Ultimately, though, this brings her into, like, Man-Beast knew what she was doing, because of course he did. He's supposed to be the literal devil of Counter-Earth. And so, Brother Power winds up attacking. He, Man-Beast removes the power she was given and funnels it all into Brother Power, who starts attacking her. But she's able to stand up long enough for them, for both to be defeated, um, Man Beast uh, is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, able to sit down in this chair that amplifies his hate powers and uh, causes the people in the stadium to start freaking out and attacking each other. And in doing so, this will cause all of the people watching at home to feel hatred toward the, the Legion of Light, and he will feed on that hatred, and on and on, and whatever. Um, but Bobby Sue, Razorback's brother comes sister. in while he's sorry Bobby Sue Razorpack's sister uh, comes in while this is happening realizes what's happening and she smashes the machine 
the uh, Spider-Man fights Man-Beast and in the process um, Man-Beast is seemingly destroyed um, when the when the hate amplifier uh, <coughs> backfires it also seems to kill it seems to kill Man-Beast and um, Brother, Brother Power son. Yeah. or Brother Power sorry um, um, this ends with Bobby Sue telling Razorback that she's not going to go back with him because clearly there was something wrong at home if she was what well I was just going to say so Spider-Man and Bobby Sue are seemingly buried under all the rubble right Razorback who was out fighting the crowd and trying to keep them from ripping each other apart is just like oh shit and tries to like start digging them out but he finds Spider-Man having protected Bobby Sue so yeah sorry go ahead uh, uh, yeah like I say Bobby Sue's like clearly if I'm willing to join a cult something's not right at home I need to go figure out who what that is and keep searching until I found it and Razorback's like, well, damn. And uh, Spider-Man's like, well, I know uh, it sucks, but you gotta kind of let her. You kind of gotta let her go. And he's like, all right, fine. Um, yeah. And uh, the Shawshank stuff is done. Fucking thank fuck God. Me. So. Um. Overall, this run of spectacular also happened like I'm glad the Shawshan thing is done hopefully but mm-hmm. and I'm glad the Corba thing is also gone um, the creation of the cult and like why Shawshan was putting up with it was a little convoluted for me but whatever um we needed to do something else, and I'm glad about that. Eh. Yeah. Uh, Razorback was fun. Razorback was fun. Actually, we, we haven't we haven't really at this point done a lot of the whole like uh young inexperienced superhero tries to learn from someone who uh, knows more about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's while while that's somewhat tiresome now sure it certainly wasn't at the time. Um, Well and the thing that I like about it is that he's such a different guy right like if if it just was like okay so the kid the kid that tried to be captain america until he took a chimney to the face or whatever it was <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah. that kid was just annoying because it was like his stick was i'm from brooklyn or wherever like my New York accent is extremely thick um, and I'm scrappy and a bit of an idiot this guy 
is way different than we usually get um, in a hero, yeah. in a costume. Um, he's the good kind of redneck, and uh, I, I appreciate that. Where he's just, he's got the way that he talks, and he's not gonna back down on that. And, like, I just, I thought he was, he's sweet, like, his intentions are good, too. Like, mm-hmm. And the miscommunication at the beginning is hilarious. Um, okay, so Razorback was the good part of this. Um, I mean, I don't need him to stick around forever, but as a part of the story, it was it was fun. Yeah, I know. I know. Eventually, he becomes part of the Fifty States Initiative. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Fantastic Four, number 191, has a cover by George Perez and Joe Sinnott, written by Len Wein, penciled by George Perez, inked by Joe Sinnott, colored by Glynis Wein, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Len Wein. So, the bulk of this issue is, oh my god, the Fantastic Four is breaking up, which, no they're not, but whatever that's the road we're going down right now fine so most of this issue is press coverage of it and the various team members dealing with that the one thing about this i will say is i really like the fact that as they are getting dressed to head out Johnny and Ben have a moment mm-hmm. where Johnny is very obviously broken up and Ben kind of puts his hands on Johnny's shoulders and says, let it out, you know, maybe right. it'll help. And it's really, <laughs> I will say that when it comes to depictions of like, uh, wholesome masculinity. I did not think it would be thing in Johnny. No, no, because <laughs> they're the well. No, I mean it's that's why it's such an affecting scene is because normally they're the ones being the most toxic masculinity they can possibly be at each other, right? Like, granted, it's mostly confined, confined to just their relationship. Like, it isn't hurting. But for the most part, it isn't hurting anybody else. But, like, that's why it's so affecting here for them to just be, like, they're not fighting. They're just being supportive of one another. They're being present and in their emotions and, like, All supporting the... each other through that. And it's great. Yeah. Uh, it's just a pity the rest of the issue's kind of whatever. Um Reed, meanwhile, is overseeing some S.H.I.E.L.D. agents uh, that are removing all of the various machineries from the uh, Baxter building. However, it turns out that they are not S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, but actually Lord Parnival Plunder and his men uh, who are going to and so reed realizes this um 
and he is able to get to the window and fire off a Fantastic Four flare uh, before he is knocked out. The others come back, and it is initially... Uh, it is initially not great. They get taken out pretty quickly by uh, the plunderer, and but then they're able to uh, Johnny, even though he's wrapped in an asbestos blanket, is able to like spit some fire at the ropes holding Reed, <laughs> Which was and so thing. Reed. I was just like, oh. All right, whatever. When, when it comes to stories like this, and J- he just sort of invents a new power all of a sudden where he can fucking spit fire, I just go, sure, as long as we get through this. I mean, there's... It's n- not out there's of... There's nothing about that that necessarily flies in the face of what he can do. Right. So I'm just like, all right, sure. So... Reed is able to get to a button <laughs> and that button automatically turns everything he's ever built into to scrap metal. Yeah. Um, which is good for the tech that's like right there. But I feel like there's a lot of stuff Reed Richards has like gifted to or loaned out to other not just superhero teams, but other organizations that are now abruptly going to stop working. Yeah, the super MRI at the hospital is just dead now. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Uh, but so, they deal with the plunderer, and they're just like, alright, let's go. And so, uh, they have one last run-in with their landlord, but thing is just like you know what fuck it and shoves him in a plant and uh that's it it is ostensibly the end of the fantastic four but come on so i don't know other than other than the one moment of re or of johnny and ben this issue is kind of well, and Ben is convinced throughout it that this is just the thing and that when the flare goes up, that's him being like, no, I made it. Reed being like, no, I made a mistake. Everybody come back. Let's do mm-hmm. Let's keep doing it. And when he shows up and Reed's like, no, man, it was only this one thing. Um, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top five. Number five from me is Starhawk. Did you kill Thor? Did you? Art. Did you? Okay. Alright, I guess you are the one who knows. Uh, Number four is uh, the Molten Man fight. Because I like the way that it... It's a really dynamic fight. Like, there's ups and downs and, like, shifting... Like I said, shifting priorities. And we don't get a lot of that 
in a, in our yeah. fights. Normally, it's pretty straightforward. It's let's beat the shit out of each other. But throwing, having Liz be in the middle of it means that, yeah, like I say, the shifting priorities is a neat wrinkle. Uh, number three, Razorback. In general, he's fun. Mm. Uh, like I said before, I don't think I need him forever, but it's 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 a fun enough take on the new hero doesn't know what they're doing, tagging along, and uh, being kind of just an interesting character. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two is... Wouldn't it be great if somebody knew, Peter? You idiot. You complete goober. Yeah. You fool. Um... Most of your problems would go away, but whatever. Continue this. Uh, and or at I, least, you know, a problem a problem share is a problem halved. Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then number one, kind of undercutting my number two, is uh, the initial conversation at the hospital. Well, I guess not really. It doesn't really undercut my point. It almost makes it more, is that if she knew then all of that conversation would have deeper context. Like, mm-hmm. they would be closer as even just friends, right? Like, they would understand each other better. Um, mm-hmm. Or at least Peter. But regardless, that conversation's still good because it shows that their relationship may be complicated, um, in a we're not just dating right but they're still very good friends they're still very they care about, about each other a whole lot so I like yeah. okay that's me alright well uh, for me uh, number five is uh, in Fantastic Four number 191 there is a guy who tries to interview Franklin and gets about the response you would expect from a three-year-old from trying to inter- interview a toddler in that he's like, do you have anything to say, young man? And it's very much a, I like totals kind of moment because <laughs> yeah. Franklin is just like, no, but Mr. Bear does. Do you want to interview him? And the guy's like, no, no. <laughs> uh, and it's very uh, Arrested Development, <laughs> Dead Pigeons meme. <laughs> well, I didn't know what I, I expected. Don't know what I <laughs> don't, yeah. Dead Pigeons don't open. And then Michael opens it and he's like, well, I don't know what I expected. <laughs> yeah. Uh Number number four, I will say I liked the fake out with Dr. Hamilton and Harry. I take issue with how it was done, but I thought overall it would have been solid had they just fundamentally done it differently. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's a fantastic idea. I absolutely loathe your execution. Is what you're saying. None even like most of the execution was fine. It was just the one thing. Yeah. That was the one thing that kept me from unabashedly loving it. 
Uh, number three, Rocket Racer. Like, they introduce this guy, and it's just like, he's a dude with a skateboard. We know he sucks. That's why he's not the main villain. <laughs> Uh, and we've got other things to like, do, so he's done in pa- he's done on page three. Like here's the here's the thing that I love. You can here's do the that thing Spider-Man. that I love. It's so good. <sighs> Kangaroo got like a two issue arc when he first premiered, and it and his whole thing is just I jump real good, <laughs> and it's like. cool uh (laughs) good job but like rocket racer is just like i put in a ton of effort i this board is practically a part of me i've got all of these cool gimmicks and like blah 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 and they're just like you get five pages (laughs) (laughs) and and a page of that is going to be this is how hard he failed (laughs) This is how Uh, much work he put in and how hard he just eats it. Yeah. Uh, As as Spider-Man just deposits him on a on a uh, passing police car car and swings away. Usually like villains get like handily like a full on defeat and like either have to fake their death or (laughs) or they it is just like left to the reader to assume the police collect them afterward. But in Rocket Racer's case, it's just like, no, not only do you not get a full issue, but a full 20% of the time you get uh, will be spent on how hard you bite it and how easily Spider-Man just, like, drops you on a cop car and forgets about you. <laughs> anyway. Like, sorry, man. That's how low tier you are. I have to go give... Yeah, no. Anyway. Yeah, he's literally like the shocker in Ultimate Spider-Man. In that he, he like, shows up and it's just like, okay, whip, 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 done. Uh, number two is, uh, like I said, Harry ripping out of the goblin costume would have been such a great moment of catharsis but for like everything that comes after yeah except for Uh, all of the you know the entirety of the rest of spider-man history (laughs) but like it works because it's just kind of like you know harry harry put a when harry puts on the costume you're like Oh fuck! Like you done it now? Yeah. <laughs> like, but then he gets there and he's just like, "This, this was just to get me to where I needed to go. I don't want this anymore." Yeah. And you know, like you I said, asshole, it really you actually, good. you are actually the one that helped me realize that I don't want this anymore. I cannot believe you pushed me to this, you fucking bastard. Um and. I swear to God, if somebody doesn't stop me, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, yeah. But I'm going to do it as Harry. Like, that's really good. Yep. Uh, so. 
Number one is Ben and Johnny. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like I said, you don't, you don't, even, even in the most extreme circumstances where like a loved one dies most superheroes at this point in time aren't really allowed tears yeah uh and the fact that the fact that not only does johnny is johnny allowed the space by the creative team to cry but that he uh, he is then able to uh, be comforted by Ben yeah. of all people, right? And it really gives it. It really, it's one of those things that is incredibly integral to their relationship. Is the fact that while these guys rip on each other all the time, right? Either of them is perfectly willing to die for the other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, all right. Well, next week uh, we have a little bit more Spider-Man, but most of next week and then I think beginning of the week after is Iron Man. Um, and then we have an Eternals annual. So whatever uh they they announced a new eternals book because of course they did with the movie coming out right and i was just like uh, i don't care it's even kieran gillen writing it and i'm Ooh. just like i don't i can't i yeah. can't be bothered because i realized you know I went back and looked at the Neil Gaiman Eternals book. Uh-huh. And I realized I didn't even really like that. Uh, I think it was primarily because I like Neil Gaiman's writing that I was trying really hard to like it and had convinced myself I did. But I just, I cannot give a fuck. No, I, I have read that book, the Neil Gaiman one. A couple of times, and each time I start, when I start it, I'm like, "I should read this. I think I like this. Don't I like this?" And then I start reading it, and I'm like, "I like this." And then I keep, re- <laughs> and then I keep reading it, and I'm like, "I don't think that I like this. I just like the big, the big celestial drawings. That's what I like." No. Um, mm-hmm. And Sprite is fucking annoying in that. But he's annoying always. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. And uh, next week is actually our 150th proper episode. Uh, yeah. Not counting like one year anniversary episode and... Uh, the various watch list, which we are actually going to get a chance to do another watch list soon. So, um, but yeah, so check that out. Um, excuse me. Uh, 
But in the interim, like us on Facebook, follow us both individually and at Watchers Guide MU. Um, visit our website at watchersguide.com, which I'm going to be giving a bit of a facelift here in the next week or two. Uh, email us at watchersguide at gmail.com. Check out our other show, How Marvelous, which just got a new episode about what if Jane Foster became the mighty Thur. Utterly ludicrous. Like, who would even read that? Uh, and uh, rate and review us on iTunes and stuff. Uh, have a marvelous week. Bye.